Well, if you were here last week, uh, you began this series with us, Christmas Playlist. And throughout this series, we're going to take four different Christmas songs that are very well known, which also happen to have biblical references and significance for our lives today. Now, last week, we started off with the first Noel. And looking at the angel of the Lord appearing among the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, Oh, they were all freaked out, and then they went to go see who this baby is that was born, announcing the birth of Jesus. And today we are going back to that same chapter to learn more about Jesus' birth, one that took place away in a manger. Now, when the, when the God of the universe was born into the world, it, it was not in an ivory tower somewhere far from the broken world but instead it was right in the middle of a messy stable and a world that needed a Savior. So imagine the setting, the situation, the time that was going on in Bethlehem at that moment. Chaos and awful things happening during that time. <clears throat> and this song reminds us that God is born to each of us, no matter who we are or where we come from. There's no privileges there. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. No one's excluded. And all are welcome. And this is the song, Away in a Manger, I want you to be thinking about as we talk today. And we sang it at the beginning of our worship time. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 2, a portion of scripture we went through last Sunday, but this one I want to highlight even again. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Was there a time when you, when you went somewhere, maybe to a movie, maybe to a concert, and it was sold out, you, you weren't able to get in? Were you a bit frustrated about the fact that there wasn't any room left? You're only one person. Come on, it won't take up a lot of room. You could fit in there somewhere, right? I can remember when uh, Taylor Swift had her tour beginning. And, uh, and Brianna, being the Taylor Swift fan, they call them Swifties, I believe. And uh, she was really wanting to go to the concert up in Seattle. Well, some of you might recall that when the tour was announced and the tickets were going on sale, the online ticketing company uh, had a big mess up there. They couldn't, they couldn't handle the, 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 the volume of people who wanted the tickets, and there were issues there, but um, that tour was sold out really quickly in a lot of cities. And Seattle was uh, one of them. And so Bree was like, come on, I'd love to go this. And we were able to actually uh, gather with another family uh, from North Clackamas Christian School that had some connections. <laughs> we were able together to be able to send uh, their daughter and Brianna up to Seattle and be able to see Taylor Swift. But um, there was some disgruntledness there real quick, though, about how quickly it was sold out and there was no way of getting there. I remember, uh, as you probably recall, Damian Lillard being traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And when that happened, I thought I'd get online to see if there would be any tickets at the, at the Coliseum, at the Rose Center, whatever they call it, 
Moda Center um, for a home game with the Bucks because Damian Lillard would be coming back. And I thought, oh, let's see if there are any tickets available. And then I looked at them. <laughs> it wasn't very, very long uh, after uh, tickets went on sale for all that. Uh, they were pretty much sold out. And any tickets, if you've been to a Blazer game and you've been up in the nosebleed section up there really high and <clears throat> barely be able to see the players down there on the court, those tickets were selling for three, four times the amount that they normally were. And it's like, okay, never mind. But uh, it's interesting, though, how sometimes we experience there's no room in the end <laughs> and we get a little frustrated this portion of scripture sets the stage for where Mary finds herself when giving birth to the Savior of the world. The Bible tells us that there was no lodging available for them, so Jesus was born away in a manger. <laughs> this probably sounds a bit odd for the Son of God entering His own world, but today I want to help you understand a little bit about the significance behind the manger and this birth scene and to help you understand a few things. Here's what we must understand. First of all, the manger points to someone unique. The manger points to someone unique. There was a athlete at North Clackamas Christian School back when uh, Jameson and Anthony were there. <clears throat> so we're talking a number of years back. And he uh, ran long distance. Um, <laughs> neither Anthony nor Jameson liked running long distance, so they weren't part of that. But uh, he was an amazing runner. He did the 800, and the, well, 1500 was his big thing. <clears throat> and then he also did the 3K as well. Amazing runner, though, and he, he came in first a number of times and uh, won a lot of different meets. The thing is, is that uh, uh, it, that wasn't the, why he was uh, such a unique runner, though, being so good. <laughs> he would always come dressed. Now, he couldn't do it during the meets, but he would always come dressed in shorts no matter the weather and he'd have these long socks on that would go up to the knees and sometimes the socks wouldn't match and you're like what are you doing <laughs> do you know what's going on here and he knew he didn't care <laughs> he's just like whatever and so sometimes he would also in in practice and running he would he would wear wool socks on his feet as he ran and I guess it gave him more cushion, I don't know, but I always thought that was very unique. A unique runner that we had at North Clackamas that ran quite well, and, but he, uh, he's, he had an interesting way of uh, fashion. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, he stood out because of what he wore. Uh, Jesus here, the baby in the manger, stands out because of where he was born. The manger points to someone unique. And to understand the significance of the manger is unique, we need to revisit our passage from last week. Now, you remember what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds about Jesus in verse uh, 12 of Luke chapter 2. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel says that the baby will be recognized by two things, strips of cloth and the manger. But what we know to be true about births happening at this time in this geographical place is that most babies were wrapped in swaddling cloth or strips of cloth, as, as Scripture tells us. But we never find, and maybe you can search this as well too and help me out, but we never find a child born in a manger. <laughs> that aspect was unique. 
That aspect was odd and out of place. You'd never find a baby in a manger. Well, you shouldn't, anyway. You see, a manger is something dirty. It was never intended to be a bed for a child. But it was a feeding trough for for animals. And this was the first place the Son of God laid His head here on earth. (laughs) Amazing. A Son of God, born in a manger, dirty feeding trough. But why? Couldn't God, in all His power, have planned for some other place of residence to be the first place Jesus arrived? I mean, if you plan this out, would it be a manger? Would it be a feeding trough? I'm sure you'd probably call up the best place for Him to stay at. Expenses were no problem. But couldn't the Savior of mankind have a more hospitable place to breathe His first breath? The answer lies in this key phrase, and maybe you've heard this phrase before, maybe you've sung it in a song before, there's no one like Jesus. There isn't. No one like Him. And Maybe this is a phrase uh, you're new to, but really, there's no one like Jesus. You probably have said this possibly in a prayer or a conversation with a friend. Either way, we as Christians believe it's true. There's no one like Jesus. And according to the passage, the angels saw fit to give the cloth and manger to the shepherds as a sign. This is how you'll find this baby. Be wrapped in cloths. And shepherds are going, yeah, yeah, we've seen that before. We've heard of that before. <laughs> Lying in a manger. I'm sure their eyebrows raised up. What? Okay. That's a little different. I'm here to tell you now, uh, today, that never in human history, other than this instance in Luke chapter 2, regarding Jesus as a king of any kind, been born in a manger. So we have no other option but to believe that Jesus Christ is one like none other. He is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the evidence of of that is found even in the most unlikely of places, a food trough called a manger. Another thing we need to understand about the manger is that the manger points to the cross. The significance of this scene does not just have repercussions for the current situation when Jesus was born. And I would say that the manger points us toward a scene to come in the life of Jesus. One that would prove to be of utmost importance, the cross. To better understand the manger cross connection, we can look to something profound that Paul wrote about Jesus in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It seems that Christ not only took the position of a slave or a servant, but in the case of the manger, even less than a slave or a servant. (laughs) God, who is all-powerful and creator of heaven and earth, not only decided to enter into a broken world full of broken people like you and me, he he also decided to take it a step further and do so in the humblest way possible. 
Maybe you remember the scene later in the Gospel accounts when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, donkey's colt. Rather than being the center of a massive entourage, Jesus takes the, the way of humility, which is also the way He desires for us to model in our own lives as well, too. You may have heard, though, the phrase before, so-and-so came from humble beginnings. This person grew up from humble beginnings, meaning they didn't have much. In the case of Christ, he had everything possible at his command. He had everything. But he laid it all aside to take up a humble position upon his incarnation in Luke chapter 2. This humble beginning in the manger leads to another humble position on the cross. And rather than resisting the arrest and trial leading to his crucifixion, Christ chooses the Father's way and the Father's will, one that included another humble position. And one last thing we need to understand about the manger is this, is that the manger points to disciples. The manger points to disciples. We've talked a lot today about humility. We've also referred to the fact that often God will choose the most unlikely of people or places to include in His purposes. <laughs> Just look around you. <laughs> God has used you in so many people's lives, in so many different ways, for His will to be done. The manger scene includes several different people, but none may be more significant than those who first received the message about Christ's birth, the shepherds. It's so fun looking at those guys. I mean, if we were to have some shepherds in our church today, where would you be sitting? Probably not with the shepherds. Because <laughs> they were stinky. They, they, stayed, they, they, they were with the sheep all the time. They probably didn't care what they said or how they said it. They were a rough group. They knew how to survive. But they also knew what they were looking for. And we could certainly understand if God had decided to reveal Christ's birth first to kings or leaders in the, in the area, area and that's understandable. Other royalty needs to hear about royalty coming, being born. <clears throat> but instead... God shows us once again His upside-down kingdom model by choosing to reveal Jesus' birth first to simple shepherds. These men were nowhere near the top of the social structure. <laughs> they were tasked with watching over sheep, a key part of life back in this time and, 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 and the culture, but not a celebrated vocation by any means. Staying outside in the weather watching dirty, smelly sheep that don't want to obey you, don't want to go their own way. Sheep provided wool or clothing, and were all, even offered as temple sacrifices as well. So shepherds often did not even own their own property, traveling instead from place to place, living in tents. They were nomads, simple people with straightforward jobs. <laughs> not a lot of difficulty, not a lot of complications there. Watch the sheep. And yet these were the people that for some reason God chose to make the first evangelists of the message of Christ's birth. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 2, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
Can you imagine being one of those people who the shepherd's coming up to and saying, you would not believe who I just saw today. And you'd be going, you would not believe how long it's been since you showered. <laughs> but you're going, what, what, why you? What, what are you doing? Why did God choose you to give this message to us? Upon seeing this, this situation of the child born in a manger, these shepherds, they simply could not keep this profound news to themselves. Maybe this reminds you of another story. Later on in the gospel accounts, one when Jesus is not born, but rather is resurrected. Luke chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the, man, the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Doesn't that resonate in you as well? People need to know this. And when you receive free gift of salvation, you had to let others know. What you experienced and how they can experience it as well. And it seems like the shepherds are, in a sense, meant to foreshadow the disciples whom Jesus would call to follow him and take his message to the world. These were ordinary people with ordinary stories whom God used in extraordinary ways. Does that sound kind of familiar for you? Ordinary person, your ordinary story, but used in extraordinary ways. Recently, uh, I went to my mom's storage unit. <laughs> that thing needs to be done. We, uh, just, we just need to get rid of it. It's costing us so much each month, and it's just stuff. And most of the stuff is gone, and actually, about a couple weeks ago, or whenever it was, might have been three weeks ago, it got broken into. And uh, not a lot of stuff was in there, actually. A huge, gigantic, heavy executive desk. I don't know how we got it in there, but that thing is a ton if, if you know anyone who wants one of those, uh, let me know. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to bless them with it. Um, they'd have to come get it, of course, because I have no way of <laughs> transporting it. Shove that in my RAV4. Um, anyway, um, and so there's not a lot of things in there. I went there to, and found out how, you know, what it was broken into. There's a number of mattresses in there that need to go to the dump, and there's a dresser in there. But there's a bunch of boxes of different photos and items and keepsakes and stuff like that. They were ransacked through, and, and so I had to gather those things and see what was actually going to keep. And I thought I'd better take the things that I probably want to keep and can't really replace with me. And so I did that, went home with them, and, and then a few days later, I... 
I started going through the boxes because I'm thinking, well, we can't have these boxes here because we're going to have Christmas gatherings and can't have that all over the living room. And so I went through them, and most of them were pictures. And I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> now, if you don't know my history very, well, very much, um, my mom, uh, when I was six, took me, uh, my mom and dad separated, and uh, a divorce was coming. And, and so back in Ohio, where we lived, south of Cleveland, my mom took me one night and gathered all her things, and we left the state when I was six years old, and we traveled to Southern California, where her parents lived. And so my mom basically took me away from my dad, and he was going to be getting custody of me. And so when that whole situation went on, I didn't know what was happening. I thought we were visiting Grandma and Grandpa. We're going to stay there. Oh, we're going to live here. Okay, whatever. And we, you know, six-year-old, didn't know what I was going doing. I was just wondering what was going to happen the next day. <laughs> What's, how am I going to have fun? And who, whose friends am I going to play with? And, uh, and then eventually from there, she met my future uh, stepfather from Portland, Oregon. He was down visiting uh, friends down there, and they matched them up together, and so eventually he, a couple of years later, brought us up to Portland, Oregon, and they got married, and, and I gained a stepsister, <laughs> four years older than me, um, and uh, going through there, about eight, nine years later, we, we moved to Milwaukee, and then uh, about eight, nine years uh, um, during that time, um, they divorced, and then my mom remarried and uh, uh, to Alan Kobach, and um, wonderful gentleman, and he just had a lot of stress going on uh, with insurance business that he had, and he owned one, owned a business, he and a, a partner, and, um, and so my mom worked for him as well too, and, and eventually she gained the business when he passed away, and so all these things happening in my, my, my mother's life and our life, and uh, it was a lot of things happening. That's just a real quick snapshot of all that went on in about 19, 20 years of, uh, of uh, life of mine after six years old. To say that, because then here I am with these boxes of, of, of pictures, and a lot of them are from my time in West Lynn, where Alan Kobach lived. He had a house there, and so we moved there my junior year in high school. I went to Clackamas High School, and when I knew I was going to move to, to West Lynn, I was like, I'm not going to go to West Lynn High School. I'm going to go to Clackamas High School. And so I had a car at that time, so I just drove back to Clackamas High School. Not sure how that all worked out very well. I, I was oblivious to the fact that you probably had to have an address in Clackamas area to be able to go to Clackamas High School. I'm not sure how that all worked out, but anyway. Uh, graduated from Clackamas High School, whether it was right or not, I don't know, but anyway. All that life in West Lynn, though, it was uh, not very long, maybe four years. Not very long at all. Of living there and all that. Here were these boxes full of photos of that time period where I was just like, whoa, I, I don't recall a lot of the things that went on. And so I was just going through them, and all these memories were just flooding back to me. And, and I came across letters between my mom and dad when they were dating. And he was off into boot camp, and she was hoping he would come home and can't wait for Christmas and all these things. And... So they were really in love, and then, of course, six years later, after I was born, then they were divorced or separated. 
there was a there was a um, a note in there that my father had written up about the reasons why or the different um, um, information of what was going on and how my mom was keeping me from him, and so there was a lot of angst going on there. I was just reliving a lot of this stuff of my childhood that I I, I wouldn't say I pushed down and just forgot, but I just moved on. Didn't, I just didn't count it worthy of, of going back and revisiting. And seeing all that happening, revisiting that, though, through the pictures and those letters and everything else, I came to realize I came from the other side of the tracks. <laughs> wow. Because there, were, there was one of the notes that my dad put on there is concerned that my mom wasn't taking me to church and wasn't raising me up in a moral um, uh, household and with morals and values, and he didn't have an opportunity to be able to take me on weekends or, or be able to have me in, as custodian, be, have custody of me, and uh, be able to uh, teach me the morals and values and, and to take me to church and all those things. So he was concerned about that type of thing. So as I was looking at it, I was thinking, man, I guess I was on the other side of this. I live in a life of sin and everything else. I didn't even know it. I was just like, this is fine. Whatever we're doing. And, you know, in high school, junior high and high school, I never really got in trouble at all. I, I always I, I thought of my grades first and athletics and, and friends, but my grades were important. I wanted to keep those up, and, and so I hung around people that would help me be able to do that. And athletes uh, that would uh, be uh, good people to, to emulate and uh, know how to, how to play sports better and stuff like that. So... Wasn't into the drugs, wasn't into the alcohol, wasn't into the stuff, the steal things or whatever else. It's just, I knew what was right and what was wrong. My mom taught me those things. And, and don't get me wrong, I love my mom. She was wonderful. I love my dad. He was wonderful as well, too. Um, but they had certain ways of wanting to parent me. And uh, so thinking about that, uh, this child was living in a, in a household that didn't go to church, didn't care about Jesus, didn't know anything about Jesus. And of course, this one friend of mine from high school, I knew him since junior high, and he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. Actually, he saw I had questions about that when I was a junior in high school. And so he took time to be able to visit with me and take me to lunch during, during high school time, to be able to go to McDonald's and talk, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and then eventually invite me to church over at Valley View, Valley View Evangelical Church and be part of the youth group there my senior year. And then, of course... Um, going out to Camp Baker and receiving Christ as my Savior the summer after I graduated. It didn't happen until after that I received Christ as my Savior, and then, of course, I realized God wants to use me in a special way. I say all that to tell you that this ordinary, <laughs> uh, I guess you could say in some respects worthless as far as no good, person God used in an incredible way. And look now what's going on. He used the shepherds in that way as well, too. You know what? He does not care where you've come from. He just cares where you're at right now. And he cares where you're going. <laughs> and he has a plan for you. He loves you, and he wants you to receive that free gift of eternal life. But he also wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use you as shepherds going out, proclaiming the good news. Shepherds that don't care, blemishes that are on you. Jesus is in you, 
And he's able to use those situations that have happened in the past to be able to tell a story so people can hear and listen and learn and <laughs> realize that there's a God that loves them. And you don't have to have it all perfect. You don't have it all, have it all in line to receive Christ as your Savior. You don't have, a, have to have it all in line to see how God wants to use you in an incredible way. So when God said, yeah, you know what? Not only am I going to uh, be your Savior, but I also want to use you in ministry. <laughs> I was like, okay, what will that look like? And of course, then uh, over 30 years later, here I am. Continue to be used by God in whatever way possible, and each day I'm going, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> whatever you want to do through me, do it. And the answer has always been Yes. That's what the shepherds said as well, too. Yes, we're going to share this, this good news. We've got to. Maybe you've been questioning that. Maybe you've been questioning whether God could take someone like you with your level of brokenness and sin and use you for amazing purposes. I'm here to tell you, yes, He can. He is able to. And, we, and when we give God our yes, He will call us out of our comfort zone. Be careful. Be ready. <laughs> this person who said yes became a pastor of the church. I was like, okay. Be careful when you say yes, because He's got some great things for you. Some things that you probably can't even imagine. He only asks that we seek to be obedient to Him in the process. So when He reveals something to you, and you, you, you can say a, a, a tentative yes, <laughs> just move in the right direction. Move in the right direction. He is the one who will guide, He will convict, He will refine, and He will lead us on a path of everlasting life. Maybe today... Maybe today this needs to be the prayer you pray in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, Lord. Test me, Lord. See if there's any offensive way in my heart, Lord. Lead me to everlasting life. Maybe that's your prayer today. And where are you with Jesus at this very moment? Where are you right now with Jesus? Has God been nudging you towards something He has been guiding you towards? It's been a long journey. He's kind of been leading you towards, and, and there's some things that He's been revealing in your life that you've said Yes, tentatively along the way. But God wants to do some amazing things through you, in you, and through you. Do you continue to say yes? Are you ready? Do you need to accept that call upon your life? Because maybe God called you something you know, a few years back, and you said, oh, oh, okay, Lord, sure. That'll never happen. And maybe you were, you know, fine. 
But God keeps coming back to you and saying, remember, you said yes, and I'm going to use you in an incredible way. If God is prompting in you in that, in some way, in, that, in your heart, maybe today you just kind of renew that and say, you know, Lord, I said yes back then. Or, Lord, I said yes a few weeks ago, and I want to be used by you. Or maybe you, you said, oh, yes, Lord, I'll do that, and then God is using you today in whatever way possible, but maybe he wants to use you in other ways as well. For me, uh, I say yes to the Lord, and, and, and I hold on tight, because I know once we say yes, then God's going to do some amazing things through you, in you. But I believe Psalm 139, we need to have that before us and praying that. Search me, test me. Is there any offensive way in my heart? Lead me. Those things need to be our prayer as we say yes to the Lord. But maybe God has called upon you some task, some ministry. Maybe you're kind of putting off, but maybe God's saying, it's, it's, it's happening. I, I, need you, I need you on board, fully on board. And if you haven't renewed that yet, maybe today you just kind of renew that decision of saying yes to God. As we spend some time in prayer, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and help you respond in obedience for what God has for you. I'm going to have Don come on up, and as he comes up, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, thank you for what you're about to do. And Holy Spirit, if there's someone here today, maybe someone online as well too joining us, that feels a call in their life to be used used by you, Lord, in someone's life. Maybe, Lord, today we just we need to renew that calling. Maybe today we just continue to say, Lord, I said yes before and I say yes now. That has not changed. So, Lord, use me in whatever way possible and whoever's life possible. If that's you today, I, I pray that you would have assurance in your life that God has called you to this specific ministry, this specific task, And He will complete that work. He will do it in you. He will use you. Maybe there's someone here today and those joining us online. Maybe they haven't gotten to that point yet. Maybe they're not even at the point of walking in relationship with you. Maybe they're at the point of realizing there is a Savior. It calls my name. If today you've heard of this Savior for the first time that wants that relationship with you, we've gone through communion, we've talked about how the Savior loves us and wants the best for us and wants to use us for His glory, but He provides that free gift of eternal life. If there's someone here today that has not opened up that free gift yet, I pray, Jesus, that you'd help them Start peeling back the wrapping, realizing their need for you, realizing that today can be the day of salvation for them on this December 3rd, this first Sunday of Advent. Lord, would you just continue to speak to our hearts about these things? 
And Lord, as we respond, as I've prayed already, that you'd bring assurance into our hearts. Assurance that we have received you as Savior and you have come into our life. You have cleaned up. You have, you have opened up the way to heaven for us. That you bring assurance into our lives that, yes, you've called us to a certain specific ministry and you will fulfill this. You will work through us. You will use us for your glory. That we just need to be open to you and continually say, yes, Lord. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to remind us that you go with us all along the way, every step of the way. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for providing. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for rescuing us from the penalty of sin. And for using us, ordinary people, shepherd-like people, <laughs> to express your good news. May it be so. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.